This episode of Beer and Bullshit is brought to you by Woodhouse Brewing Company in Toronto. Woodhouse brews the refreshing beers using only choice ingredients and no preservatives. Check out their brew pub in Toronto today and enjoy their newly opened patio. Welcome to Beer and Bullshit. I'm your host, Ben Johnson. This is episode 19. Thank you for tuning in to a very special election day edition. I'm just kidding. I won't be talking about the presidential election at all. It's Tuesday night when I'm recording this, and I am not yet aware of the degree to which America is or is not great again. But we can all cross our fingers that they figure those things out, and you're not listening to this while civil war breaks out. Godspeed, America. Uh, this is Beer and Bullshit, and uh, the balance has swung back to beer tonight. Had some feedback that there's been a lot of bullshit, so I'm giving the people what they want. Back to beer. My guest today is Jason Fisher. He is the owner of the Indiel House in Toronto's Junction neighborhood. Uh, he's also the owner of Biroteca, the small brewery in Italy in the Manulife Center in Toronto. And a guy with whom I've had uh, many a conversation about the state of beer in Ontario. So in a lot of ways, this episode feels a little inevitable. Uh, Nevertheless, we had a good chat. Uh, We interrupted Jason while he was eating brisket, which is an auditory experience you'll enjoy early on in the interview. And as you might expect, if you've ever met Jason, uh, he's got some opinions and he shares them. Uh, So we'll get to that in a second. But before we do... I just wanted to say a quick thanks to all the people who are listening to the show. We are almost 20 episodes in now and slowly but steadily building a following, and I really appreciate your patronage. If you like what you're hearing, please do give the show a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show, because reviews really do help the show get picked up by other people who might be interested. And I wanted to give a big shout out and thank you to all the people who continue to contact the show via our website's contact form at beerandbullshit.ca. I'm amazed, actually, how many people send queries through our website and appreciate it. Uh, I do indeed read them all. We may not get to them on the air. Uh, but I promise I read them all. So thank you. Okay, enough of that bullshit. Here's my chat with Jason. Dude, are you really going to eat brisket while we record this? Is anybody going to give a fuck? My legions of fans. Define legions. A couple hundred. <laughs> it's the fastest growing podcast in beer. <laughs> all right, dickhead. Let's start this thing off. Um, People, believe it or not, people who listen to this might not know who you are. You're among the top brewers in the, in Toronto's Junction neighborhood. Only brewer in the Junction neighborhood. Really? Technically, the Junction neighborhood has an actual definition and boundary, and we're the only ones in it. It doesn't really matter, and no one cares. Um, The NDL house opened in 2012, should have opened in 2010. But the city of Toronto at the time was pretty convinced brewing in the city was illegal. Um, we were, you know, about six months ahead of Bellwoods on the opening curve. We talked to each other every day. Where'd you get this? Who'd you get that from? How'd you buy this? And so on. But their city councillor liked beer, Councillor Layton, who's outstanding. And my city councillor hates everything. But she's, she's gone now. She was a nice person, just, you know, was more interested in gardening than helping anybody. Uh, any small businesses anyways. 
So we had a long slog of red tape and whatnot. And consequently, we opened in 2012 instead of 2011. Um, but you're not bitter about it at all. No, just the fact. Um, it, you know, we're a little brew pub in the junction, a neighborhood that has been on the top up and coming neighborhoods and coolest neighborhoods for about 25 years. Um, and it kind of finally got there. We, we were a little fortunate in that regard. That wasn't strategy. I looked at more than 100 locations in Toronto and a combination of what we could afford and what fit the model. And uh, we ended up with this place it was around the corner from my house at the time. It's been great. The neighborhood's outstanding. Uh, it certainly shapes a brew pub significantly, which is something I learned and didn't know. I, I, I knew an awful lot going in. I had done a lot of research for more than 10 years, visiting the States, asking questions, reading every book and magazine I could get my hands on. But um, I didn't realize how much the neighborhood and its evolution would play a role in the business. Um, we're a lot of, the neighborhood went from affordable to off the charts unaffordable, just or, you know about a year after we opened. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of families who, you know, new kids and um, they don't, they're not very active on social media, but they'll come twice a week and eat the food and drink the beer and, and say they love us, but you know, they don't, they're not really into hype or lineups or any of that kind of stuff. We're kind of a, like an older brewery on day one, if that made sense. Yeah. You're saying you gentrified the junction. We certainly played a huge role in gentrifying <laughs> the junction. Other than two banks that have been there for a hundred years. Right. And, and one small bar in three block radius in any direction. None of those businesses were there when we opened. No, I think it's something to be said for the true, the truest sense of a brew pub. I think they become part of the community. And it, I, Bellwoods was, you know, open in a spot that was already cool for lack of a better word. So they kind of just fit the vibe, but you kind of sure. got into the junction early. So you're, you're part of the fabric now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I remember there's, there's a lot that's happened in eight years, but I distinctly remember um, being open in about the third month. I came in one morning and the staff were all super excited. I'm like, what's going on? And they pulled out a house listing that mentioned how close they were to the NDL house. Like someone was selling their house and it's like, you know, three blocks to the NDL house. I'm like, wow, that's really weird. But, um, you know, that's what it was like back in 2012. There weren't very many. And a lot of the people opening now and a lot of the other breweries kind of get described as brew pubs, often by lazy beer writers, um, but they're not really brew pubs. They're, they're breweries that might, you know, have a barbecue in the back. But a brew pub is a restaurant, a place to serve beer on draft, and really a big part of the community. And when I did my research and looked at all the places in the States, it was the model that, you know, we could afford, made business sense for us. But also a lot of the breweries I really looked up to and really liked and wanted to be like started that way. So it, 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 I kind of settled on it pretty quickly uh, as, as the model to look at. Yeah, I think from a consumer perspective, brew pubs are, I love a place where you can get a, a beer and a meal made under the same roof. But I think from a, a business perspective, you have to be insane to open one. No offense. You certainly do. There, there are pros. There are, there are a lot of pros, but the cons can really kill you. The pros are you don't really have cash receivables. Pay, people pay you every day, so you get your money right away. Um, you get to make 
small batches in lots and lots of small batches of beer, which is a good way to learn and try and iterate and be innovative. If you just want to make three beers, a brew pub is a horrific idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we did a lot of traveling in the States. I, I did a lot of traveling for work um, and, you know, went through a lot of cities that had brew pubs and, and kind of, I was in data collection and data analysis as part of my real life job in the past. And so I just gathered a whole bunch of data and put it in an Excel sheet. Brew pubs that had good food, good beer, and good service were far uh, hard to find. Um, and the good beer part, there's a temptation in a small brewery to use the same yeast over and over again in all your beers. It's simpler. It makes your scheduling and logistics easier. It's cheaper by a lot. But the few that you found that ran three or four or five different house yeasts, they were really proud of that fact. It meant that they had some lab skills uh, or were near big breweries who could help them. Um, and they put a lot of effort into quality. Every brewery on earth talks about quality and probably less than 2% of them do the work that's required to run four or five house yeast strains. So I, I have a chemistry background and some lab work background and knew that that's what I wanted to do um, and I thought that that would differentiate us. We don't ever really talk about it because it's a kind of inside baseball thing. Other breweries know, but the general public just knows your beers don't all taste the same, which is the hallmark of a brewery that uses all the same yeast. Right. I feel like you've kind of, you've given the the business background of the indie, but maybe uh, you're not doing yourself credit as a pretty vocal member of the Toronto, if not Ontario beer community. Famously, uh, the guy who yelled at Kathleen Wynn was your claim to fame for quite a while. Um, it was my claim to fame for one day. It was the only... No, only you fucking have a bumper sticker. I just, yelled at Kathleen Wynn. You'd love it. I did apologize to her later um, and her staff. Um, there were some very funny things that came out of it. Um, but basically, the Ontario government um, for decades has in their election platform, talked about beer reform, and then when they get in power, they do nothing. They may do some lip service, but that's a stretch. They take a lot of money from the two big breweries. Every, in Ontario, we've had all three parties be in power in the last 25 years, um, or 30 years, and they all have got the same playbook. We're gonna revamp the beer store, we're gonna change the monopoly, we're gonna give small brewers a chance, get in power, Molson Labatt's make large political donations one way or another. Some of their staff end up with cushy jobs and then nothing happens. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just sick of it. So, you know, one of the things, one of the other pros of being a very small brewery is you can cause some shit because I don't have to worry about what's going to happen. You know, there were consequences, um, but consequences to a, a small brew pub are different than consequences to one of the bigger breweries in Ontario, or the bigger craft breweries. So I've never begrudged them, the bigger breweries, for not doing more because in their shoes, you know, you have to look after your 500 employees or you have to look after, you know, your, your shareholders and your investment. You have a duty. Uh, I didn't have that concern. All of my employees signed up to be kind of on the outspoken side. And so that was kind of my duty. My role was to chirp. I chirped Labatt's when they kicked out steam whistle from the, at the time Skydome or whatever the hell it was called. 
And the, the steam whistle guys all came over. I'm like, thanks. Thanks for doing that. We can't say anything for all kinds of reasons, but you know, the, that was the rule of a small brewery. That's what they did in the States. Mm-hmm. That's what they did in, the, in Europe. Um, small breweries, you have a role to play. You can be a little more outspoken. Um, you can run up against the line a little bit. You can make crazier beers and innovate because you have small batches. So yeah. if I make a no, it's been great. Batch it's of- been gr- as a beer writer. I mean, you were a fucking quote machine for me. If you look back at my blog to days when I was writing something about <laughs> monopoly or the LCBO difficulties, you're right. It's hard to find people that were trying to work within the system that would talk against it. So uh, it's been helpful to know you as a writer. Yeah, because you know, there's, there's, yeah, there's a legitimate fear, particularly in Ontario, that if you go up against the government too much or the, the big brewers too much, you're going to face some consequences because they run this town. They literally write their, their own laws. Mm-hmm. And that's not a shot at the AGCO. The AGCO are outstanding. I'm not sucking up. They are legitimately an outstanding organization. But the boundaries that they play against are pretty limiting. So if you talk to them and learn and listen, they are very helpful and, and you know, do a very good job. But they're not an advocacy group. They're not a police group. They help interpret some really crazy ass laws in this town. Mm-hmm. So that was then, this is now. India House has been around. You guys just had your eighth anniversary. Is that right? Yep. You've got a pretty massive production facility. Uh, you are a part of an international franchise of high-end grocery chains. It's not a franchise. Um, I mean, there's more than one. Yeah, I guess they don't all, sell off franchises. I understand. My own family. So, right. you know, so, so okay, I'm just saying, the, are you still, you're part of the OCB, which we definitely have to talk about. Yeah. Are you still that outspoken guy? I mean, now you are very much in the system. Well, like no one in the system believes that. Um, <laughs> so there's, you know, I'll do the quick version. Five years, we're a little brew pub, and you know, we get all kinds of offers. Should you should you want to open a chain of these? And I used to say, if I opened two of these, I would just double my problem. So no, that's not what the next step is. Mm-hmm. Part of the model of looking at who did what in the states was the little brew pubs very rarely became a chain of brew pubs, but on pretty frequent occurrence opened a production brewery somewhere where they made larger volumes of you know three or four of their flagship beers and then grew from there you drop your packaging costs you drop your you you increase your purchasing power and you know you kind of you build your market you test your beers and then you expand and i was in no real rush to do that and possibly missed some good opportunities but we didn't have world domination plans we wanted to do what we were doing you know even even three years after we opened, one of the things Indy doesn't get any credit for, and I'm not, you know, the seven people who listen to this, you don't need to take it easy. You don't need to say anything. I'm not, I'm not, it's not to brag and it's not to kind of grow this truth, but we are among the first, if not the first to brew the majority of the beer styles you can find in the city today. And that's kind of shocking. But remember in 2012, the number of bars in the city of Toronto that had more than two craft beers on tap was probably less than 10. And today it's everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on your definition, it's, it's 99% of them. The, you could not get a porter year round. There was maybe Wellington made their porter year round, but I think they made it occasionally. 
double IPAs were made once or twice a year. Our opening day 2012 beer list included two kettle sours, for sure the only ones in Ontario, a triple IPA, for sure the only one in Ontario, um, a Belgian wit beer, for sure the only one in Ontario, a porter, probably the only one in Ontario, um, a red wine barrel aged imperial stout. Are you saying sure the only one. porter in Ontario in 2011? 12. Um, who else made a porter in 2012? Mill Street? When did that vanilla porter hit? Got a coffee porter? Later. But if they, they, they made it, they made it for Christmas. So there are people who made them once a year. We've right. made it around since 2012. Okay. Well, I've got uh, my listeners, maybe few, but they're definitely beer educated. So people are going to be scouring production sure. times. To- so, <laughs> no, if not the first, then the second. But that draft list was shocking at the time. But if you went to Buffalo, you could have found that anywhere. So it's not right. like that we were actually innovative. We just looked at a different model. And I remember distinctly having conversations with members of the OCB at, you know, before Indy opened it, you know, at conferences and things saying in the States, why don't any of you make this beer? And that beer could have been a porter or whatever. And they all said some version of, and some literally said, there's no market for that in Ontario. And I found, you know, I, I, I did data analysis and whatnot, and I found that impossible to be true that if you went to Buffalo, they had a more cosmopolitan taste in Buffalo than they did in Toronto. Because at a Buffalo gas station, I could get 25 IPAs. And in, Ont- in Ontario, you could get two or three a couple times a year. Um, you know, Bone Shaker was out, Mad Tom was out. That's probably it. Great Lakes and um, Black Oak made exceptional uh, additions on occasion but they didn't make them year round. Um, And I think they had just started considering that. Um, And we came out of the gun with four and a triple uh, and called it cock puncher. And I was like, if you don't like this, get the hell out. Like we don't have any other choices here. You're literally just taking up a seat that somebody who wants this could be sitting in. Fast forward eight years, you know, we have white wine, we have red wine, we have a couple cocktails. So the, we needed in the first five years to fight for this existence. We don't anymore. That every, there are a lot of other breweries that have come along and taken up that torch and, and you know, kind of done this fight. I, I, I say that only to say it shows the suppression in Ontario. You could have found this anywhere else in the States 10 years earlier. But Ontario went from zero to right up to speed pretty quickly and in any business in any part of life if you catch up really quickly you make mistakes along the way there's a lot of noise in the system there's a correction which is kind of a fancy way of saying people are going to go out of business there's a lot of doing things fast and and you know catching up but it's not necessarily the most efficient use of energy so there's a lot of not great beers out there a lot of experiments a lot of learning still to be done I'd That's argue that the correction is only happening now and it's because of COVID. Like, yeah. it's it been... hasn't really started. Yeah. You know, one, of the, one of the problems, you, there's a lot of layers and there's a lot of context, but in the drive to support local, if, if you don't use reason and logic and context, you could be a very vocal supporter of a very bad brewery that is very local to you. Mm-hmm. 
And then when a lot of them pop up and they may not be bad people or have bad business practices or they may, but when they make a lot of beers that aren't good, the market starts to think, well, this is what a Gosa should taste like. Exactly. And what brewery you know, are you talking about specifically? I'm Just, not talking about a brewery specifically, Ben. Um, but I understand what you mean. If, if you start to flood the market with shitty craft, and then that's what the market starts to think craft beer tastes like, you turn right. them off. Yeah. It, it, and Ghost is a good example because it's this kind of very esoteric made just on one part of, uh, you know, the one side of the river um, in a little neighborhood in, in Germany. And it, you know, it had a very long history of X, Y, and Z. And it was a kind of forgotten beer, which craft beer is very good at reviving, which is a huge credit to craft beer. Um, and then now everybody, if you take an Ontarian and bring them to Germany and say, oh, here's our ghost, so they're gonna be like, what? How come it doesn't have blueberries and sparkles in it? Like this is garbage. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, it's the museum piece of ghosts. So not to split hairs on the definitions of the words, but what happens is if you blindly support and no one educates, which is kind of the microcosm of Ontario for the last five years, you end up with this bubble. And so we're in a bit of a bubble. It doesn't mean those beers are bad and it doesn't mean that they all have to follow, you know, puritanical definitions, but the bubble uh, is going to break at some point. Do you think that's still true? I think the consumers have become, I mean, I would have said that from 2012 to 2017 ish. I don't know. Do you think the, the market is, still largely uneducated and blindly supporting their local. Cause now I think in Toronto, there was a time when a new brewery would open in a neighborhood and it would be like newsworthy. And I would cover it for blog to I was like, Oh, there's one on Ossington. Now there's one over here now. And the neighborhood would support that. But now you've got choice even within neighborhoods. So I don't think they can, you can't get by on just being the local brewery anymore. Cause there's probably a competition around the corner. You're right. So it's, I think it's changed and I think it's worse. So it's not that you blindly support the local one anymore. That, you're right, there used to be a big deal when a brewery opened and all of us, you know, the brewers would all go and support and now like there's too many and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but what's worse is the, the gap in educating consumers grows every day. And I think, I think the one thing the industry here does very- I'm trying to put this on fucking beer writers, man. I see where you're going. Not the beer writers. Your job <laughs> is to sell ink. So like, <laughs> if you guys want to live, your job is to get clicks and sell ink. Like anybody who believes otherwise should take their head out of their ass. Right. Or um, find another job. So I, I don't, you know, I don't begrudge anybody for what they need to do to survive in general, but in, in Ontario beer, the bubble has evolved or changed, not evolved is the wrong word, but gone from, oh my God, it's new to, oh my God, it's got fruit and lactose in it, to, oh my God, there's a lineup, to all those kinds of things where, you know, quality is subjugated and loudness and social media have taken over. And, you know, I guess part of it, we, we were part of that group, so maybe we, we contributed to the problem to some degree because we made, you know, fuss and, and, you know, if you go to the LCBO now and you look at the beer shelf, they all have crazy stupid names. They all have 11 colors on their label and mm -hmm. there's a million of them. And I wouldn't drink most of them. Um, there are some good ones in there, but how you would find the good one from the loud one, I don't know. I agree. I don't it's, it would, I, like if you weren't 
tangentially involved in the brewing industry. It would be overwhelming as hell. It's and so crazy. then either you start to listen to this podcast, third party, oh, what? Who then, you or someone who would then are themselves influenced by whoever gives them beer or gives them money or t- says nice things to them or, you know, agrees with their whatever social stance. So quality and business acumen and attention to detail and all those other things are irrelevant. If I call my beer some fucking cute catchphrase and put sprinkles on it and pay the LCBO for an extra end aisle and give a bunch of influencers this, that, and the other thing, and then I'm, then I'm the best. And that's not what Indy has ever wanted to participate in. Any of those individual things, there's a time and place for. The kind of joke at the start at Indy was, we won't do anything gimmicky, but we'll do something stupid. We're happy to try dumb things. We're happy to be experimental and, and be, you know, go crazy. But if everybody's doing this, yeah, we're, we're a lot less interested in it. Um, so how do you square that with your new found business ventures? I mean, a production facility, you're so, probably going to have to start thinking about end caps and sparkles. I yeah, mean, that's so just marketing. It, never take the business. Yeah, we're not doing sparkles. Although Mike Lack and I did write the Reinheitsgebot for Sparkle, Sparkle Law. Um, and someday that'll be a thing. Sparkle Law. Uh, um, no more than two colors of sparkles in the beer. That's one of the rules. Fucking um, fascist. Um, so, you know, you, you have to recognize, and, and, and pretty early on, I say this to anybody who comes into India and says, hey, you know, we're interested in opening a brewery, which was probably 90% of the people for the first three or four years. And, you know, I went to the people who were existing before that. So I, I was happy to, to pay back Ron at the Granite, um, the guys at Great Lakes in Amsterdam helped significantly. Uh, and, and Nickelbrook with all the questions and where do I get this kind of acid? And what do I do with this? And where did you buy those end clamps? Like people, people were very helpful to us. So we've always tried to return that. But the thing that I say to the, the new generation coming out is you can make great beer in your bathtub if you have the technique and the ingredients. Business is different. This is business. The, the number of people who come in and be like, yeah, we opened a brew pub. This is cool. Have you homebrewed? No. Have you, you have a business background? No. I played hockey. I'm like, awesome. You should um, you know, collect hockey cards or something. This is not for you. Um, find people who know what they're doing and talk to them. Right. But, yeah, you know, there's like, a weird mix of business, like chemistry, marketing, and that's kind of the trifecta and different breweries do it with different volumes of each and you can see where they suck at one and are right. sell at the other. And, and if you want, you know, you could probably classify all the brewers in, in that trifecta, that uh, Venn diagram of those three things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I have always stressed you need to be good at all of them or have someone who's good at all of them. And if it's not you, you need to listen to the people who aren't you. So you're evading my question, Mr. Fisher. So I'll go back to, I'll go back to, you're going to push volumes. How are you going to push volumes? You, so, you can't keep your, you can't keep your philosophically independent bent and your, we, don't think, what we like. I don't think that's true, but I, I do think there's, there's some compromises. So, you know, for five years, we're this little brewery in year two, I sat my two senior employees down who are still with us today and said, okay, we survived year one. Um, which is kind of a miracle. And now we have to kind of set some new goals and you know, let's set some goals for the next 30 days and 90 days and so on. But also put some effort into setting a crazy outlandish goal for the next five years. Like whatever you want, but take your time and think about it and, and let's go for it. And 
So one of them said, I want to get our beer in one of the bigger music festivals. And I'm like, well, that's never going to happen, but sure. Okay. Like, yep, let's write it down. Let's see what we can do. Let's reverse engineer it. And the other, the other one, you know, had a different goal. Um, and I said, we're going to get our beer into an Italy and ideally Italy Toronto. And they both looked at me and said, we don't know what that is. I'm like, okay. Uh, so next time we were in the States, I took them to Italy, New York and Italy, Chicago. And when we we're in Europe, we went to a couple of these and I said, when you walk in here, like just, just observe how this is different than any other market or grocery store or restaurant or whatever you've ever been into. Just, like just observe. And they were like, this is amazing. This costs hundreds of millions of dollars. You're never going to get one of these in Toronto. I'm like, okay, well, that's for sure. But let's see. And so I set out and I started to email and call the owner and then the owner's son who's taken over and said, hey, you don't know me. I think your stuff's awesome. I read about it. I've been there. I want you to bring one to Toronto and I want to be your brewery partner. And at the time they had a brewery partner that was Dogfish Head and Three Floyds and um, you know Half Acre and a couple of fancy breweries in Italy. And I'm like, well, we don't belong on that list, but uh, this is what I want to do and I want you to do it. And he was very polite. He'd email back and say, ciao, Jason. You know, I, I knew some Italian. I lived in Italy and my wife's from Sardinia. So we chat a little bit, but he's like, we have no plans to come to Toronto. If I'm ever in Toronto, we'll have a beer. And so every three or four months I did this for the first two years. And then I found out he was gonna be at a wine festival. I went to the wine festival and talked to him. He's like, wow, fantastic. But you know, like this is not in the cards. And fast forward- You're stalking to, this guy is what you're I'm, saying. I'm, that's a nice word. I'm, yeah, I'm, <laughs> The Italian word is much nicer for it. I'm proposing a business arrangement. <laughs> um, and he, you know, he's very polite. And I, you know, <laughs> for whatever reason, we made a bit of an impression. And they were about to open one in London, uh, the real London, UK, and it met with significant delays. And they said, well, you know, what are another city and the London partners are, are part of a Toronto family. And they said, well, you know, what about Toronto? And, and the owner's like, well, actually, I know this guy in Toronto who wants to talk to us. And so one Sunday they just showed up at Indy and I'm like, oh, I could see them getting out of the car. I'm like, you guys are either Italian soccer players or I'm in trouble. And they walked in and said, okay, you know, like, tell us. I brought out some crazy ass beers, which most of the team did not like. They were not into sours or Flanders or fancy beers. So I went, went to the, the basic stuff and they, they were okay with that. And they said, okay, um, tomorrow morning at nine o'clock, bring your spreadsheets, bring your presentation, be at this office, uh, see you later. And I like didn't have most of that ready to go. And I went in and did it for about five hours. They grilled me and they said, we'll call you back. And I had a message by the time I got home and they said, okay, next week, show us a presentation with this, 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 and it's, you know, it's in Chicago or, you know, it's in Milan. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to be in Chicago or Milan. So uh, let's use the internet and I'll get up early. Um, and they did this for three years. They grilled me. They looked at other breweries. They, they are the most detailed, uh, fastidious, smart people I've ever worked with. I remember yeah. we talked about this pretty early on. There was other Toronto brewers in the mix and even you were contemplating possibly partnering with other Toronto breweries at one point, weren't you? I was. So, you know, I, the first pitch to them was, I said, let's model it after New York where you originally had four breweries involved, two American, you know, your in-house plus an Italian. And I said, let's do that here. I can get, you know, I, I have some good connections. There are people who like us and I can get some really good people who are different than us. 
and you know, let's go get an Italian. And they said, yeah, we didn't really like that model in New York after a while. Why don't you just do it by yourself? And so I'm like, okay, well, this seven hour presentation I have is all garbage now, but okay. Um, and I, I'm like, why? And part of the reason was so that they could evaluate me against others, right? That, that's, that's smart. Um, but part of it was their experience of, you know, how this runs and, and what they liked. And I, I did, it's the hardest thing I've ever done, the presentations and the questions. And at one point the owner's like, okay, listen, I'm gonna send all your numbers to a couple of breweries in Italy and one in the States. And it turned out to be Dogfish. And he said, I'm gonna get them to validate your stuff. And if what you say is good, we can stop talking about the numbers. And he called me the next day and he said, yeah, that's good. So now let's talk about making an Italian Pilsner. And then six months later, the kind of floor fell out from underneath us. And they were the first phone call we got saying, if you need any help, we still want you to be our partner. Right. So, so for listeners thing. that maybe don't know, Diversified Metal Engineering DME, the largest, largest Canadian production. Producer largest brewing, American at the time, I think. Producer of brewing company. We're making your brewing equipment for your um production facility and they went into receivership so you were out uh i think the scientific term is a shit ton of money all the money we had yeah so when we when we got the italy deal as you've alluded to we needed to build a production brewery because our little brew pub was never going to make enough beer and the brewery that at italy that i'm sitting in now was never going to make enough beer. So the production facility was for Italy. It wasn't, I thought those were different plans. I thought you were like, we're going big with the production facility nope. and the Italy thing happened at the same time. Nope. The production brewery was because we got the Italy contract. Ah, okay. Um, so at the time we said we we're going to need to get a listing in the LCBO who had been calling us and saying, Hey, why don't you put some beer here? Um, and it didn't make sense when we were a little brew pub. Uh, but we had done a couple little test runs for fun and to support other causes. But we, when, the day we signed the, the, the lease with Italy, or we got the, the formal letter, we said, let's go find a place. Uh, we looked and looked and looked. We had some agents. We had settled on a place. Um, in retrospect, it, it, it wasn't the greatest decision, but it, it's certainly very doable. Um, it's around a bunch of other breweries, which is nice. And we signed the lease. We first thing was we called the our sales rep at DME and NSI and said, you know, we need a we need to spend a million and a half on brewing equipment, and told our bank who had been offering us money forever. The bank was like, great, 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 do it. Signed it, paid the first deposit out of our cash flow, paid the second deposit out of our cash flow. Said to the bank, okay, time for you. And the bank screwed us because the bank, and I'm happy to name names in this case, was RBC. RBC was also the company that was foreclosing on DME and they knew it. So they didn't want to lend us money that we were going to give to DME that was never going to be recovered. So mm. they screwed us. Now, I said to them after, you should have told us. And their answer was, well, we had a duty of care to our client. Well, we were also their client for eight years or at the time, six years but they were happy to fuck us. So I'm happy for people to take it out on RBC in any way that is legally not gonna get me in any trouble. Um, and I've, I've said that to them. I said, you know, I will dedicate a portion of my life to fucking you the way you guys fucked me. It's a giant, it's a giant company. So not everybody there is horrible, but I wouldn't mind if they all disappeared um, or went bankrupt. Starting a business is both exciting and challenging. But RBC Business Banking can help you every step of the way. 
with tools, features, and savings to help you grow your business, RBC can help you turn your business dreams into a reality. That's RBC Business Banking. Call today. So, okay, so this is all happening concurrently. Concurrently. So we get this massive loan that we can pay back if we have these two entities. Um, and then DME goes under with, you know, $780,000. But that's, and, and not to sound stupid, that isn't the problem. The problem was we were expecting delivery of our system in December, and they told us in late November, almost two years ago. So we were expecting to be ready to go and brewing beer by March. And it took a full year for us to brew beer. We had to replace all the stuff, find new money, find used things, beg and borrow, revise our plans. So the killer is the missing year. I've said this on other you know, interviews and things, and this hopefully will be one of the last times I talk about it because I'm tired of this being what defines us or this being our story. Um, but after we've talked about this, a funny little thing is that someone from DME then chirps us and says, well, you didn't really lose 780,000, you lost 767,000. Like, okay, motherfucker, you wanna talk about $13,000 really? What we lost was a year of revenue. We lost $3 million of beer we would have made and sold, and that's what's killing us. Mm -hmm. The day our first batch was ready from the new production facility, two days later, COVID shut us down. So it's funny, but it's not that funny. Right. So we got nuked by a back-to-back -back and, you know, DME and RBC fucked us. They knew what they were doing when they said, sign that contract, pay that money. Oh, who's the supplier you're sending it to? No, no. Uh, we don't want to be your partner anymore. Um, and, you know, that was, that killed us. So you're, I mean, is it fair to say you're back now? Did you have some help from some friendly Italian strangers or how, I mean, I remember when things were no, so, so uh, pretty dark at one point. Are we, we, got, are we... we got, we got a lot of kind words, um, <laughs> but no one has given us a single dollar. What we did was scale some of our thing back. You know, we didn't buy a canning line. We rent and use mobile canning services. We didn't buy big tanks. We bought medium tanks. We bought a used brewing equipment. There were a couple of breweries who said, you know, and, and a couple of American breweries who said, Hey, you know, we have a lead on, this or that, uh, Great Lakes, you know, basically gave us a malt mill. Um, Amsterdam gave us, you know, at, at a ridiculous cost, a couple of fermenters. Uh, so there were people who helped a little. It, and, you know, not to belittle the help, it meant a lot to us. It meant every day that someone helped meant we could continue on for a little longer. So were there vultures circling? I mean, maybe there's two sides to this. Did people maybe sense there's blood in the water and they could move in or... B, were, were there times where you're like, fuck it, I'll just sell this thing and get out of here? I, I, so probably a bit of both. Um, I, I'm, I'm still a business person. And as much as I really do like doing this and really like being part of our community and really like the employees that, that we have and, and, and what we're doing, I'm not dumb. If somebody brings a dump truck full of gold, it's yours. Like by all means, I'm, 
I'm taking the day off. That's still on the table right now? 100%. Today only limited time offer $25 million. Exclusive uh, to listeners of the Beer and Bullshit podcast. Yeah. Use the you, offer code bullshit. Use the offer code. Um, yeah. <laughs> 20% off the Indie LS production okay. facility. <laughs> so I, I've, I've said that from day one, like that we're not stupid. If somebody offers us a, a boatload of money, we'll go do other happy things and I'll, I'll share that money with my employees. But um, not necessarily equally. Um, <laughs> I will share an awful lot of it with the bank who, uh, we owe a lot of money to. Um, but yeah, yeah. So that is a possibility. The stress of that, those two years was unbelievable. And, um, you know, it does a number on your health. It does a number on all the employees. And, you know, I have two employees, three or four employees at Indy who are like rocks and really helped a lot easily calling and saying, hey, you know, we still want you to be our partner. We still want to do something. So, you know. But just sending gnocchi over and whatever you need. Every little thing helped a lot. <laughs> um, you know, I, my wife, everybody, like everybody kind of like was stronger than me for a little while there. Um, and, and it made a big difference. The I wouldn't say we're back because COVID is a very special time. Yeah. Very special episode of humanity going on right now. Yeah, uh, the season finale coming up probably as we record. The season finale of America's tonight. Yeah. Um, and I, I tweeted that in series, a maybe series finale. Let's be real. You know, we've certainly weathered a very hard storm. And we've paid we haven't missed any of our payments. We've, you know, not got a lot of help or any help financially. Um, we've, you know, the LCBO gave us a listing, which, which was a little bit of a lifeline there for a while. Um, but we are far from thriving. Back when we started this, we were a thriving group. We were sitting on cash. We could have done whatever we wanted to. I'm happy with the decisions we made. The reality sucks. So you have to be honest about how bad things are and not blindly optimistic. But you also have to have some optimism that you're going to get out of it. And balancing those two on a daily basis is very uh, time consuming and takes a lot of energy. And we all take turns doing it at, at the, in, you know, the team, the indie team. Um, but we, we still have a lot of beer. We still serve a lot of people. That's at the core, what this is about. Um, it would be nice if I won a $5 million lottery, I wouldn't have any, it would all go to the bank. Like that's shocking to say. So mm. we still, we still are looking for, help or some kind of good strategic partnership uh, or, you know, Christmas miracle, but barring any of those kinds of things, we're just going to grind it out and um, do what we do. And that's, you know, it's, it's going to end the way it ends, but we're alive today and we'll be alive tomorrow. So does this explain your uh, born again, Ontario craft brewer membership? Now you're an OCB member. You turn so, to, to the Lord. A little bit, but no. So I, I probably, I had a bad experience with the OCB early on. And, I, and I'll, I'll, everything I'm about to say, I've said to them, except one last little piece, and I feel a little bad about that. And I will we'll rectify that when we're done this talk. Um, you're setting your preamble, like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was very critical of the OCB early days, in part because of my experience with them. When I said, hey, I'm opening a brewery, you know, I'd like to join. I'd like to know what you're about. I'd like to help. And they're like radio silence. I'm like, okay, well, you know, like maybe email's not checked or I got the wrong number or whatever. Go to the website and it was made on a Commodore 64 and it was, you know, it could crash by looking at it. And I'm like, okay, 
this isn't what you do, that's fine. Um, call the number, leave messages, go to meetings, talk to people. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah I'll get back to you. And never, like for a year before Indie Open, I got zero from them. Mm-hmm. Their literature was garbage. Their ads were wrong. It was just garbage. I'm like, okay, it's a very new thing. Be patient, get open, talk to them. And, and every time I had a question from them, the answer I got back enraged me because it was just so bad. Um, so I'm like, okay, I'm done with you guys. Like, forget this. I got more help from the Swedish in the Chicago Brewers Guild than I did from the Ontario Brewers Association. It's just <laughs> horrifically embarrassing. The American Brewers Association is one of the greatest forces of nature on earth. Like it's I've amazing. never understood why they don't just try to copy it verbatim. It's, it's, it's amazing how good they are in the States. And here, whatever. So I go into this dark place fed by you and we, we, you know, <laughs> we basically brutalize them by just using plain and simple facts, which, you know, is fun for a time, but it's not really pretty. So they switch, I'm in a lot of meetings with them. And, and then when they said things, I'm like, you want to take that back right now. Like that's just horrifically bad. But they changed some leadership. A lot of new members come on, you know, all the brewers associations in, in all the 10 provinces and however many territories in every state in the union have something like a 95% membership rate. And in Ontario, it's like 30 or 40 or something ridiculous. Part of it is they don't do a good job of that. They're new, they have limited resources and energy and they put it into X, not into Y. So, you know, not to begrudge them their reality. I met with the new leader, leader's a little strong, the chair, exec chair, whatever it is, and he's great. And we had a really long conversation. I think I ended up calling him by the wrong name a couple of times and I apologize. I've done Um, it too. Yeah, and we drank a lot of beer and he's a really good guy and he listened and I felt like I should have joined right then and there but I just got busy. They had some social media. Scott, Scott Simmons. I always yeah, say Steve. I call him Steve too. I know. I watched yeah. too much hockey coverage. <laughs> yeah. So I apologize. Um, Love yeah. to have you on the show, by the way, Scott. Yeah. I'll call you the right name yeah. when you're on. You should. He's great. And, and he, he has a very, very hard job. And he kind of makes it look easy. And I know it's horrific. And I know he probably won't tell you all of that. So you need to probably have an off-air version that goes. <laughs> no, he's pretty candid. I've interviewed him before. He's candid, but he's not. Yeah. It's not to put it on him, but like the members are crazy and I'm one of them. So, um, you know, he, he does a very good job articulating. He acknowledges what's wrong. He tells me even more than I knew, which is amazing. He says, here's kind of the vision and the plan, which is one of the only things I've ever asked for them and never heard. Like, what's your mission? What's your mandate? And they're like, we're the Ontario Crisis. I get that. I understand your name. I know how the letters work. What do you stand for? Well, we have bear. I'm like, okay, for fuck's sake. Um, yeah. So it, it was a kind of sideshow and, and he's made it a more of a, you know, a modern business operation and not to put all of it on him. I'm sure there's a lot of people involved and a lot of new members and some of the old members have been like, Hey, this is embarrassing. So I'm sure there's a lot of credit to go around and they really have come a long, long way, but here's my beef. And I'm going to send this email to him and this is a legitimate beef, but it's probably at least 50% on me. So I'm calling myself out. I joined what five six months ago when the pandemic uh, the pandemic was was a nightmare in March and nobody had any answers. They had a couple of free open calls and I listened to them and I sent him an email saying you should offer free memberships to everybody, um, just so that they can we can all work together and maybe you grow your base from that. And he's like, yeah, we did that three weeks ago. I'm like, yeah, I didn't get that email. Mm-hmm. So um, maybe I did. Maybe mine. I'll go to spam. I don't know. So I joined. And they're like, you know, it's free for the first quarter or whatever, whatever. Yeah, that's fine. That's not, it, it's never been about the money. It's been about 
time and resources. So I join, I go on a call, thanks, yeah, listen. Since then, I've received three emails from them and they've all been invoices. Like not a single welcome, here's how it works, here's your toolkit, here's your, I know some of that's on me to say, hey, I'm a member, what, what do I do? But nothing, like nothing. Mm. I could be dead somewhere, they wouldn't. So I, they still have some fundamental issues with membership and outreach and, you know, they probably have a lot of resources. You know, you hear, hey, you get a card for a discount at Staples. You know what I don't need is a fucking discount at Staples. What I need is how to deal with the LCBO better, how to, you know, buy things different. I need to know what the collective wisdom of people who are in my shoes know. Not yeah, but I think you need to be at the table different. saying this is what I fucking need because... Oh, I did. I'm sure we did. But, you know, there's probably three of them in a room dealing with a billion emails about like his label's green it's the same color green as mine like they deal with just nonsense i'm sure yeah um because well, the largest this the ocb comes up every time i talk to a brewer on this podcast and it's still the same small brewers feel the ocb is not interested in what they need uh and that they feel that they're just representing large brewers interests and then the large brewers they think that's crap i've talked to you know, Greg from Steam Whistle, I talked to Steve from Bose. And they're like, well, you know, I've been going to OCB meetings since the day we opened our doors and I prioritize being part of this organization and make sure it does what I want it to do. So you can't just walk in and expect them to be like, here's what you need, right? And I, this is the first time in my life I found myself defending the OCB, but here we go. Actually, I think you can just walk in the first day and expect something. I think you can. Um, they, they take my money from the first day. So I, I think I can have some expectations. Fair enough. Um, two, there are, there are very, very successful models to follow, which you pointed out, and we seem to not follow those, which <laughs> baffles me. There are a lot of strong personalities in the Ontario group. Fair, that's fine. But true story, the big five Ontario craft brewers at one point had asked for veto power over anything smaller brewers wanted to address. That didn't go far, but that was the mindset in it hasn't changed a ton. So if you want to see what they do for small brewers and what they do for big brewers, don't go buy press releases and don't listen to what they say, judge them by their actions and ask for a list of actions. That's mm -hmm. the way to judge it. And, you know, it's still in its infancy, even though it's whatever, 15, 16 years old. Um, it doesn't have a lot of funding, which is fine. We're not, we're not asking for Super Bowl commercials. Um, and it does have a lot of very, very diverse interests. So they've, you know, made chairs of different committees and groups and, you know, the bureaucratic, um, you know, mishmash. Um, but if you say, what are your 10 biggest achievements of this year? List them and tell me their impacts. We had a closed door meeting with so-and-so. I, I want to hear about that. That's not leadership. That's not, it doesn't appear to be productive. I don't want to know that. So that's mostly what they say. We're a, we're a you know behind the scenes advocacy, political this and that, and that may make a a real life difference for for Steam Whistle and Bose that you mentioned. It certainly hasn't for us and as any other brewery I've ever spoken to. Doesn't mean that isn't the right thing for them to do, but I think if they start the year by saying here are the ten things we're going to achieve, and at the end of the year here's the results, I can judge for myself. So why did you finally join? I mean, it, you, it's all the qualms you had before joining. So, Sounds I, you know, I, I, I could unjoin, but I, I'm going to say that 
to this point, my disappointment is probably more a reflection of I didn't have time to go pull the things out that I needed to find. And I haven't really contributed to the cause yet. So I'm going to do my part before I have judgment. But I am going to say these things. After you went on a 20-minute rant on a podcast. I didn't. I didn't. I mean, like. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I think it's pretty fair to say I haven't received communication from them. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, have they been busy trying to get the LCBO to change some of their ways with pandemic? Certainly they have. Does that apply to every member? Certainly it doesn't. But, you know, they have probably a very, very limited budget and and group. So, you know, it's hard to sit in judgment or it's easy, but it's hard to make that make sense. So I'm going to do my part first before I, you know, come on the podcast again next year and say, here's where we are. But it should be a business organization and it should run by business fundamentals. Here's our balance sheet. Here's how we make money. Here's how we spend money. Here are our goals for existence. We achieved them or we did not. Hey, what do you guys want to do today? Who's got, who needs coffee? Like it's not a club. It's not meeting in a church basement. It needs to be effective. And if it isn't, you don't be a member. If it is be a member. Hopefully they'll have you out soon posing for pictures with Sam Oosterhoff, like the other members and you'll be, I think you guys, you guys, when I say you guys, seven of you and probably not so much you lost your minds. I know, it's hilarious. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I know. So, I honestly, I like, I, I think I tweeted that picture out. I was like, ah, this will piss some people off. But then it was like, kaboom. And I, I honestly, it's like, I was surprised at the naivety. Of, I was oh surprised at the, well, I heard people who were like, I'm never buying your beer again. And you never right. bought it first place and i'm like you're just taking up oxygen like seriously go kiss a girl like get out of this really? get the hell out well i was just shocked at the naivety that that you know you didn't think craft brewers were regularly in conversation with whatever party happened to be in power like a, a, as yeah you can be politically one way or the other and i don't think any of us is going to defend sam oosterhoff's abhorrent no. policies and <laughs> choices but no, the fact but- but people voted for him. So what, what gives me the right to tell those people they're wrong, right? I can disagree with his policies, but I don't just get to say you're not allowed to vote for him. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you're just demonstrably wrong voting for some people. But, but they have that right and they exercise the right. Yeah. But I can't tell them they don't have that right. So unless you go to my model where there's a queen and then you can all shut up. Queen. Love it. Um, so where was I going to go with this? No one knows, man. <laughs> I'm going to edit this so I sound smart later. That's a lot of work. <laughs> That's why I stay up so late. Um, what's next for Indy? I mean, I, I honestly thought we'd start seeing a ton of uh, indie like production beer. So it's actually news to me that their production facility is specific to the Italy venture. <laughs> I thought we'd this, start seeing like indie light pumping out in two fours. Yeah. That's common. Hold your breath. It's, it's not, it's not that it's specific to Italy, but the demand at Italy pre COVID in, in a good world. If you just put on an Excel sheet, here's how much beer you're going to sell in the Italy, in the indie retail store and in the indie beer list at the indie accounts at the LCBO in Italy, Italy was a substantial number. So just leaving the doors of the Manulife facility. Well, currently it's basically on lockdown. Right. And there's just homeless people wandering. Um, Yorkville homeless is different. There's a a mink stall and yeah, they have hat. They have nice hats. It's special. It's interesting. I learned a lot. The reality is we needed a couple of brands in large volumes. 
particularly the Italian Pilsner or Pilsners, um, and you know some of the things we we're going to put into cans. And then if you're going to build a production facility, the number one question is where are you going to sell this beer? So we decided we need an LCBO listing in Italy, and you know we'll do that. Thank you. But um, pandemic put a damper on that, so it's certainly slowed. But if you're going to can beer, we have had canning, you know, mobile canning show up at Italy and mobile can show up at Indy. It just makes way more sense to have it at corner at the production facility. Uh, so there's some logistic reasons. There are some economies of scale. You know, at Horner, we're not making coconut, plum, vanilla beers. We're mm -hmm. making crazy beers uh, in the smaller breweries. But there we'll make Pilsner and Instigator and, um, you know, some, some pale ales and, and, and some things we can put in bigger, you know, bigger volumes into the cans. Well, where? Where, do you, where are they going? So right now, all our beer is going to, it's still coming to Italy for the grocery store component. Mm -hmm. um, the, you know, the restaurant off sales, new AGCO uh, revelation, which has been helpful. Yeah. Um, at indie retail and home delivery. There's, you know, some going to the LCBO, but um, most of our LCBO stuff doesn't kick in until 2021. We've had Instigator in the LCBO this year. It's done really well. But we're doing direct delivery, which means we drive to every store to drop it off. And there's only so much reach we have for that right now. Mm. So will Marco Polo be in the LCBO? That's really all I've been trying to figure out. That's a secret, Benjamin. Okay, that's a yes. 2021, Marco Polo in your LCBO. You heard it here, folks. We're not going to talk about Wayne Newton. <laughs> you want to talk about Wayne, local London, Ontario beer writer, Wayne Newton? What else are we going to talk about, Ben? Go ahead. What do you want to say about old Wayne, the London Free Press's uh, writer? I don't know Wayne. I, I know he's a champion of the small brewer, well-researched articles. I don't know. Okay, um, I can tell you a Wayne story. To anyone who's listened this far and hasn't turned us off, this is a little Wayne nugget. So for people who don't know, Wayne Newton is the real name of the guy who writes for the London Free Press, uh, and he writes about beer. And when I came back to London, I thought... I can write about beer for the London free press. This was about five years ago. And I was reading Wayne's writing. And I was like, this guy's fucking brutal. And let's be real, Jason, you send me his articles to mock me about London's level of quality writing in the newspaper. I'm not I think London. I do that separately. I'm mocking that. And it's not specific to Wayne Wayne. If you ever get a hold of this, it's not about you. There are, I would say 90% of the articles written about beer in Ontario are shockingly wrong. Right. They either contain just laws of physics that aren't right, or you know, factually provably wrong information, or an opinion that it, it's like you've never been to Earth. Like you just have no context for what you're saying. Well, and it's funny because maybe he's improved now because I don't read it anymore. But in the beginning, I could tell what rep came by his house that week because that's who got an article. And uh, Muskoko, would just get so many like why is there so much press about Muskoka Brewery in the London Free Press uh, shout out to Andy Marshall a local Muskoka rep he knew where to drop beer and it got them some articles <laughs> so I eventually I emailed the Free Press and was like hey I'm a beer writer uh, I've been in the Global Mail blah 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 tooting my own heart a bit I was like love to be you know your regular beer columnist and they're like oh we already have one 
so then I was like, okay. And then I started to check out his stuff. And I, I honestly, I was, had probably had a couple of drinks and it was in the evening and I emailed them. I'm like, this, I was like, listen, this guy's bad. <laughs> I was like, you gotta get a better beer writer. And I was probably, an, I mean, let's be real. I was definitely an asshole about it. I found out later that his editor uh, is his wife. So I was e- emailing the like life editor for the London Free Press, shit talking their beer writer, and it was uh, his wife. So I never heard back, and I am not the beer writer for the London Free Press. Oh well. Yeah, and, and there are other stories similar to that, but it's just in, in not to pick on Wayne. There are so many that are. Someone offered me fifty bucks to write a hundred words. I wrote a hundred words, and no one fact checked them, and they're just horrifically wrong. Yeah. Or you know, I, I saw somebody else write about this subject. It's got to be cool and hot. I'm going to write about it despite not knowing how to spell or anything. And, and it's just like, and then that's okay. Like you're making your 50 bucks. That's fine. That's your love. That's okay. But no one from the brewing communities says, by the way, that's not how you make a beer or that's not what that beer is called or you just invented words. Like no one says anything. And if you do, the butthurt people come out and are like you know it's just like whatever like it's oh, not it's just, I wrote about this in the growler like last year but it's like a shitty feedback loop where like you don't want to shit talk the you know beer writers of the world so they won't won't promote your beer and then you don't you don't want to not promote the beer because you won't get the free beer like it's just ridiculous it's a bad feedback loop we need but, a truth and reconciliation committee for beer in ontario but <laughs> Unfortunately, we need it for about a hundred other things that are more important than beer in Ontario. So, you know, that's, yeah. that's the other kind of thing, especially during COVID. You don't want to complain too much that the government closed us and banks won't help us because we're closed. I'm like, yeah, but you're the ones who closed us because there are other more important things, right? Yeah. So we always try to preface it with that and say, you know, we help a lot of people. We employ a bunch of people and we serve a community. But you know, if you're going to need to take this time to figure out medicine, do that. For sure, do that first, right? By all means. You need to close I hope beer writing isn't even on this list. If it starts with medicine, I, the local yeah. beer writer shouldn't even be on the list. Right. So, so you know, are there problems? Yes. Is, is it horrific and are people going to die? No. Like, no. doesn't mean we can't work on it and can't have some fun. At it's frustrating. Day, but you know what? And you and I have talked about this, but... Indy needs to start just releasing totally fraudulent, like easily verified lies, press releases, and then just laughing when they get picked up by lazy writers because it would happen. We did that once kind of by accident. And I won't call out the, the newspaper, but it's the Toronto Star. And, <laughs> and it was a joke. And I was, for whatever reason, and don't judge me, it was early. I, I must have been at Indy to do an early brew back in like year two when I still did that. And it was like six in the morning and a couple of breweries were chirping about how they were gonna do great Oktoberfest things. And these are breweries that don't make anything remotely Germanic. So they're just trying to capitalize on Oktoberfest. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there and I probably had four beers and it's probably eight in the morning because I've been there since midnight or whatever. And I'm like, oh, well, we're doing a very special Septemberfest beer um, and it's gonna be traditional. And I put that out. And within seconds, the phone rang. I'm like, who the hell's calling me at this time? And it was a reporter from the Toronto Star, not the one everybody thinks it's going to be. It's I was going to say his name. I'm not gonna it's, not, it's not him. It was someone I've never talked to before or since. Tell me about Septemberfest. And I'm loaded. I'm like, who is this? <laughs> I, I assume it's another brewery fucking around with me because we do that too. 
but it isn't. It's a reporter of the Charles Star. And I looked this person up and it's, uh, and she's like, well, I'm, I'm interested in, in it. I'm like, well, you know, there's all the traditional dance and the games um, and there'll be some animals. And she's writing it all down. She's like, what kind of animals? I'm like, well, there's a goat that has three horns. We, that's the traditional, but they're hard to get in Ontario. And so I make all this shit up and I'm like, she's writing it down and she's asking questions. I'm like, oh, okay, well, it sounds like a great idea. And like, there was an article about it. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, this is <laughs> stupid. So I think, you know, part of it shows that there's a really big appetite for, for innovative, fun, community-based things. Breweries can do an awful lot of good for their communities. And it, that's kind of the honor of being the NDL house is, is, is doing that. Um, there's also an awful lot of ridiculousness and people rushing to be included and you know, missing, fear they're missing out on the next hot thing. And, and it's kind of ridiculous. So yeah. you, have to, you have to kind of not take yourself too seriously. You, you're right, it's very frustrating sometimes. There's a lot of really, really stupid things and we could fill a long podcast with them. But at the end of the day, uh, it's all pretty good. Everybody here is showing me something. What's going on? November, uh, 14th. November 14th, restaurants will open up again in Ontario. Uh, details to follow. Basically, COVID has been headlines, details to follow. Hey, there's a government aid program. You can apply here. Details to follow. That's amazing. What do I do? Who are you talking to? The, the Italy staff are saying that we're going to open on the 14th. Oh, in indoor oh. dining on the 14th? That's that's the headline. There are no details, and that could change up until the 13th at 12:59. Yeah, so the, I'll see you when the there's a vaccine. I'll see you the when there's a vaccine. Is is, uh, is the ability to change very quickly? Do you have beer in kegs? Do you have beer in bottles? Do you have beer in cans? Are you open? Or are you closed? Are you hiring staff? Or are you laying staff off? And to be able to do that quickly is fine on paper. It jerks people around, and and you know people are kind of the backbone of this business, whether they work for it or consume the product. So. It's certainly hard. I don't begrudge the Ontario government uh, or at any level, federal, municipal, uh, the job they've done. I think they've all done a very good job under pretty horrific circumstances um, and probably better than most places on earth. So uh, I have no ill will towards anything they've done during COVID. Huh. I wish for more. I wish for better communication. I wish for better details. But I'm sure they're doing their best. I have seen nothing to indicate otherwise. And anytime somebody's hacking on any level, it just seems like political nonsense, not productive. Yeah, it's, it's, COVID has certainly been challenging and it's certainly far from over. And your whole, I'll see you when there's a vaccine is a little much. Um, if you go by data, I mean, if you're a person who likes data and science and reality, you're probably safer in restaurants than in most businesses. I agree. Um, and my issue there is there's a 1% chance, and I know that... that are horrible, for sure, but you right. should be able to tell by when you walk in and look at the draft list that you're in the wrong spot. Right. Because you have I, horrible I, business in one part of your business, you have horrible in other parts of your business. Um, I agree. And I've, I've, I've always found restaurants know. to be dirty and hospitals to be dirty. Like, I'm loving how clean people are now, and I hope this stays forever. For sure. And I, and I know that restaurants are working hard, and they're getting royally fucked by the situation. And I, my heart goes up. Look at the data. If you look at I, I know. 100 cases, how many come from restaurants? It's less than one. But for me, if there's a 1% chance, sure. I don't need to go to a restaurant. And I, I'm I, sorry, because I know your livelihood depends on it, no, but no, that's I can okay. do takeout. I can, can do, do takeout. We can do deliveries. We can do all those things. And if the governments help us, we can do them well. Right. But 
But if you say that restaurants are dangerous, you need to probably say all the other things that are dangerous. Oh man, let's fucking start with schools. Like, are you kidding cool. me? Well, the reason schools are open, not to take this podcast in a whole new way, is <laughs> you can keep what you're going to anyway. If schools close, the economy closes because the kids need to be at home and someone needs to watch them. And those people watching them are working right now. So if you take kids out of school, the economy shuts down. And I'm not saying that's a bad decision. Certainly, like if you, if you go read back the Spanish flu things, they closed schools for years yeah. in, some, in some areas. Um, but there was farming to be done. You could put your sure. kid to work. I've just got fucking. Hey, YouTube. listen, my car's not going to wash itself. You want to get out there? <laughs> on over. You can but, mow the lawn in the winter. Get out there. Right. Yeah. Um, but work on your wrist shot. The Leafs need a sniper. <laughs> um, but the 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 truth is, they're doing everything they can to preserve schools because it preserves some hope of a quicker recovery. It, it, and you can say that's right or wrong, but you should just use the facts when you debate it. That's all. Um, and I, you know, I appreciate, I would not like to get the virus and I'm willing to do whatever is reasonable. To yeah. Not and it. I recognize I come from a privileged place where I can fucking lock it down. 100%. 100%. I don't need to go to restaurants yep. and lots of people do. Anyway. The, the, the trick to the restaurant, and this is what I've said to, to other people is, and it's true for any of the businesses. If the government doesn't put us in a position where we have to choose between our survival and doing the right thing, we'll do the right thing. But if you force us to choose survival, we're probably going to choose survival because the option isn't good otherwise. You know, so if you say, hey, we've got your back. We don't know all the details yet. We'll make sure you don't go bankrupt. We'll figure out programs. We'll deal with you on a case-by-case basis. Here's some emergency lifelines. Here are some guidelines. But help us do the right thing. I don't know a single business that wouldn't sign up for that. But when you say, hey, tomorrow there'll be more stuff and I don't know what it is. And then we're going to be doing this, but here's no details. And today closed, tomorrow will be open. It, it makes us, you know, we're not squirrels. We can't go back and forth. We have to pick a path and, and execute. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I'm a political leader and I'm getting different advice every day and hearing different things from medical professionals and then getting different pressures, I'm sure that's a terrible job at the moment. I'm sure they've done the best they can. Thank God we've got a chess master like Doug Ford at the helm. Listen, you don't know he doesn't know chess. <laughs> I, I think was, I could beat him. I'm not. I'm just going to put it out there. Been I, a huge fan of the policies pre-COVID. Pre he would not have been my uh, vote to lead us through COVID, but he's done, I think, very well. Okay, I'm going to let that just sit. Yeah, no, um, I'm happy to be on the season finale of uh, Ben's Beer World. This is it. Final episode. North America, it's been nice knowing you. If you can work in a plug for Indy's Advent Calendar Home Delivery, we're probably going to be sold out by the time this airs. Because when we, we decided to do this, one of the things about being a small brewery is you can have lots and lots of different beers. We've debated marketing the fact that we have the largest selection in Ontario. Because A, we can't really verify that, but B... We're not sure that really matters to anybody, but we probably have 30, 28 to 30 different beers available right now. Bellwoods has that many milk sharks. Come on. I don't think they do. It just feels like they do. But, <laughs> Boysenberry but, and Snodberry. So, so that's, that's a thing. I don't know that means it's worth marketing or talking about. I'm sure people do. I, I just, we haven't because we never thought about it. But then when we went to do the advent calendar, we thought, okay, this will work. And we, we sat around, kind of mapped it out. And then I said to the staff, okay, 
take your best guess. Let's have a little friendly wager. How many do you think we're going to sell? And someone said, you know, we'll sell 30. And so we'll sell 22. And I said, we'll sell eight. Because I don't know why anybody would buy 24 beers and then keep them and then unwrap them. And I'm like, I would just drink them. That's me. People do that. People like but love it. People make their own. We've sold more than 100. Already. And we haven't advertised it yet. So the advertising, like someone's going to write about it and put it in the newspaper on the weekend. And we're slightly worried what's going to happen. Well, this podcast um, will be live Wednesday, tomorrow. So you'll sell it. It's certainly a fun thing. And I think people need that now. Okay, what are the details? I'm not running an ad for you on the show this week because that's just I, that's fine. You too much to the, indie. You can go to the website and, and see it there. There's there are two options. You know, there was a deluxe and a regular, and I think one included hats and a you know some glasses and, and a keychain or something. Twenty four um, different indie beers, hat, keychain, wrapped up, numbered like an advent calendar, except not shitty chocolate. Retail price, I'm going to say $99.99. So I think the actual cost price is like $160, $170, but we're selling it for $119. Okay, I was um, close. And then the, well, there are some pretty fancy beers in there, some barrel-aged, you know, all kinds of stuff, some fancy stuff in there. You throw uh, some fried chicken in there, I'm, on, I'm in. I'll we're going to do a fried chicken advent calendar. Um, <laughs> That'd be soggy cardboard. If you wait, that 25th one's not so good, but... <laughs> Part of the Colonel's Thumb, deep fried and. Uh, <laughs> Colonel's Thumb, go. great beer name by the way. Colonel's Thumb. Is it? I don't know. I don't know. We have a lot of good names that we haven't used yet. I have an Excel sheet with about two hundred names on it. How many of them are appropriate? Three. Yeah, that's right. Okay, let's leave it there today. This has been fun. You're welcome. Okay. Uh, we'll do chili cheese dogs in person soon. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure and wash your hands.